Hello and welcome to the second edition of the Betting Ramp podcast. Uh, this is quite a special episode. We've actually got all four of the main Betting Ramp tipsters here today. It's the first time they've all been in the same room together, so hopefully nothing dreadful happens. We'll go for each of them in turn. So we've got uh, Miles Treadwell, who runs the Syndicate and the Racing Code. Hi, Miles. Good morning, Matthew. Mel G, who also runs the Racing Service, Nags to Riches. Hi, Matt. Adam Chang, who's our football tipster with the Professional. Afternoon. And Gus Kennedy, who runs our newest service, the Billion Dollar Man. Thank you. Yeah, welcome. So, first of all, I just want each of you to tell us about your service and just give us an idea of what your sort of unique point is and how you think you make money. Uh, so, Miles, you're our longest serving tipster, so we'll start with you. <laughs> Nicely phrased, uh, Matt. I thought you were going to call me a veteran. <laughs> I've been providing tips for the syndicate since it began on, uh, on the flat racing side of things in began February 2015 and the racing code started in 2016 that's also flat racing that just runs through the summer months so and what makes a successful service at risk of stating the bleeding obvious um, a successful service simply has to be profitable I suppose it's there are other aspects that um, are desirable, but the bottom line is, is about profitability. I suppose if you have a, a taxi driver who's a wonderfully safe driver, wonderfully smooth driver, very charming with the customers, but keeps dropping them off at the wrong destination, he's, um, he's not going to be uh, booked very often. And similarly, uh, similarly with, a, with a tipping service, um, you can have wonderful write-ups and very sincere analysis and commentary but if it doesn't make a profit it's it's not much use to anybody um, additionally I think it also has to be profitable to its members I'm sure we all are inundated with emails um, declaring thousands of points <coughs> profit but uh, if you can't actually match those uh, those figures get get on at those prices then uh, similarly that's uh, of little use so um, there are other little constructs to, to a service that, um, that add to it, but the bottom line simply has to be its profitability. Yeah, fair enough. Mel, you also run a racing service. Uh, it's slightly different in its approach, sort of more selective. Um, if you could tell us about that. Yeah, thanks, Matt. My service for betting rent uh, is called Next to Riches, and it's one approach uh, from my personal portfolio that I thought would be suitable for betting ramp members. Next to Riches targets major festivals throughout the year, so we've got Cheltenham, Aintree, York, Ascot, everything covered, and when there's not a festival on, then we concentrate on the Saturday racing, the best, the best races uh, at, at the weekend. Uh, now this bit might surprise you. With Nags to Riches, uh, and actually with uh, almost every approach on horse racing that I do, uh, and I thought it might be good for members to know, and that is when I assess a race, I don't look initially to try to find the winner. Uh, What I do look at is the race to determine, am I going to have a bet or not? And there's quite a subtle difference there. But... What I find the secret with most of the approaches that I have and next to Riches uh, for its long-term success 
is utilising form, trends and stats and particularly uh, fewer bets, larger stakes. Okay, thank you. Adam's a rather more mainstream tipster and focuses on the <coughs> football. Adam was actually featured in the first Betting Ramp podcast, but uh, if you didn't hear it, um, can you give us a quick recap? Yeah, so this is a service we launched <coughs> at the start of last season, and it's slightly different, guys, as it was providing tips solely on spread betting markets. It went really well. Uh, we were just short of 600 points up over the season, uh, so we decided to naturally expand it um, and to include fixed odds tips as well. It's going well at the moment, up on both fixed and spreads this season. Uh, and the best thing about it is um, if the service is down overall at the end of the season, I very much doubt it will be, but if it, if it is, then every penny that, that the member's paid over the course of the season gets refunded to them in full in cash. Um, so that's how confident I am um, they'll be up overall. Um, in terms of the bets themselves, um, they're derived from a combination of quantitative and qualitative analysis. Uh, so I've got my numbers and figures, and then I'll watch um, every, you know, I'll go to football, I'll watch every televised match um, there is, um, you know, I'll watch replays, reruns. Um, if I'm out and there's a live game on, I'll tape it and watch it later. Um, yeah, watch all the highlights. Um, and uh, yeah, with the, the idea being that I can maybe spot something that the market or the, the stats guys have missed. Um, and then I apply that analysis um, to the betting markets. Um, I've been in the industry 10 years, over 10 years, um, kind of the other side of the window, as it were, working for a bookmaker, taking the bets. Um, and it was an interesting bookmaker to want to work for. Uh, the clients were either very wealthy or very shrewd or both. So in that environment, I learned a lot in terms of the whole industry, you know, how it works, um, how to make money and how the markets work. Um, I was head of football trading there for five years um, so I really had to be on the ball um, with everything related to football betting. And so that stands me in good stead in terms of providing a winning football tipping service. Yeah. Uh, last of all, we have Gus, whose service may quite literally be a bit foreign to some people, um, but he's experienced some good early success. So Gus, can you tell us about it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we started the NFL uh, service for the first time this year. For me personally, I'm a huge, passionate NFL fan followed it for about 10 to 12 years and over the last three or four years been tracking um, my bets and then obviously was approached to uh, to look to start the service. Um, we look at money line, handicap, total points and any time touchdown scorers. Adam, as you say, look, it's about stats. Um, again, I watch the majority of the games either obviously live on NFL Red Zone where you see exactly what's happening or watch them back uh, and again, look at the key stats and and see where there's where there's a bet to be placed um if there's if, if if there's a game that i've got no view then it's no bet it's simple as that again we're not here to just provide a bet for every single match it's being selective again just to um, follow for up from the other guys just to make sure that there's profit there um at the end of the at the end of every week um so come the end of the season there's plenty of profit to be made um again the key thing for us this work really well uh, is the three Wembley games. Again, obviously, that's the big focus in the UK. Uh, we were fortunate enough to pick f- five selections across the three weeks and five winners, which obviously split across any touchdown scorer, uh, over points and handicap. So very comfortable with that. And again, recently, I think we're about four out of four on the weekend Ackers as well, uh, which just uh, parlay three or four teams together. Nice. As we've got a panel today, uh, this podcast will largely take the form of a Q&A with some questions submitted by Betting Ramp readers. 
Um, the first question I'm going to come to is from Mike, and it's an interesting one given none of you have actually mentioned inside information, but I know that's a big buzzword among some of the dodgier services out there. Um, so Mike says, for those tipsters that proclaim to have inside information, how do you get it and from who? Plus, how can one know if a horse will win when picked the day before? Only the trainer and head lad know whether a horse has been made ready to win. Information on its chances are relayed to owners in the mountain enclosure. Yes, head lads talk to mates, etc. Hence, info leaks out sometimes deliberately. But how can you pick a winner the day before a race? Um, Mel, you're actually a racehorse owner yourself, so I guess you'd be the best person to speak to first. Hope so, yes. Uh, hiya, Mike, and thanks for your questions. I'll try and do each question as you've sent it in. Um, inside information, how do I get it and who from? Well, let me say this to start. If someone says to you, I've got inside information, or you read of someone with inf inside information, my advice to you is run the other way quick. I say that because in almost 50 years that I've been involved with uh, the world of horse racing, nobody has ever said to me, this horse will win. And I've met dozens of jockeys, countless owners, trainers, lads, stable lads. And I would say to you, there is no shortcut route to long-term success. And I thought of this today for people listening, and it's something you should remember, I feel. Jockeys ride horses, trainers train horses, owners own horses, but it's people like me who do it for a living that we know perhaps our own inside information. Your other question, uh, is uh, how can you pick a winner the day before uh, the day before a race? Well, you can pick a winner or pick a selection the day before or the night before, but what you've got to do is next day, the day of the race, check again all your facts, uh, and, but in particularly, um, <coughs> such as the going, has that changed? By betting the day or the night before, the first thing that you would normally forego is best odds guaranteed. And best odds guaranteed is a massive weapon for us uh, as a better. Now, if there is a non-runner, rule four will apply. So there will be a deduction. So your best price the night before may not be as good as you thought. As I said earlier, the going could change. For example, it might be good the day before, it could be soft on the day. That could be enough for you to not want to bet that horse, but it's too late. Uh, you're in and you may be there with fingers crossed. So uh, I hope that uh, answers your questions, Mike, uh, as truthfully uh, as I can do. Okay. Um, Miles, I know you largely focus on lower class racing, where I'm sure there's lots of accusations of fixing and whatnot. Um, there are, but when you think of the vast quantity of races that are run and the number of runners within those, then I think it's such a, a small percentage of what goes on that, that it's best ignored. Mike, I think the best thing you can do with, your, with the question about inside information, to be blunt and honest, is to forget about it. 
Um, trainers and workers in the yards aren't privy to information that others aren't. They can see if a horse is working well, they can see if it's a little under the weather that day, if it didn't eat up after its last race, those sorts of things. That's not unique to horse racing though. Um, a football manager will watch his players training during the week, a rugby manager will do the same, an NFL manager. Um, they will know if someone's in a bad mood, has got other things on its mind, etc. But um, those small things aside, <coughs> as, as Mel said, I, I don't think that uh, trainers and owners are getting together to decide the outcomes of races. And even if they, they did, uh, horses are animals, not robots. They don't always um, run to, to expectations. That's not to say that trainers um, aren't plotting when they may uh, have success. Um, they may feel a horse needs a couple of runs to hit peak fit fitness. Um, they may feel it's, it's badly handicapped and that needs, shall we say, massaging um, slightly so they can drop down in class. But the clues are normally there. Um, if you've got a horse that's done its winning over seven furlongs and it's running an extra half, quarter of a mile, um, it's got an inexperienced apprentice riding, it's running on soft ground and it's been winning on fast ground, chances are it's there to, uh, to uh, lose a couple of pounds, drop in class, and then the big boy is uh, booked to ride um, it's back at its favoured distance, on its favoured going, and the clues are there in the form. Um, it's not some hidden conspiracy. The, the clues are normally evident there in, in the form book. So I've, I don't proclaim to have inside information, not least because I don't have any. And uh, yet despite that being very profitable for a number of years, over many thousands of bets, which shows that you don't need ins inside information to make a profit. So if you don't have inside information, don't try and find it, would be my advice. Uh, as for betting the day before, Mel touched on best odds guarantee. There are around about a dozen bookies that, that do offer um, best odds guarantee the night before, but you, you are um, slightly more likely to be restricted. So normal rules apply, your best um, spreading your bets across various bookmakers not um, having the potential to win too much with one. So if you're betting a 33 to one shot, small stakes across a number of bookmakers is advised, that sort of thing. They're, they're gonna be less worried if you're putting more on a um, short odds favorite. Mel also mentioned the going can change, true, but, but there are weather forecasts that are, that are pretty reliable. You know if it's good going today and it's um, gonna be raining overnight, it's gonna be on the soft side of good or, you can, you can pretty pretty roughly estimate where it's going to be. Good to firm, it's going to be sunny again, it's going to still be good to firm. There may be non-runners, and that is a disadvantage, especially if it affects the, the makeup of a race. If you, if you um, um, say, opting for a hold-up horse in a race because there are four or five front runners that are likely to take each other on, and two of those drop out, that's going to be a disadvantage to your bet. But those things are... are are all in the mix and that's why it's a long-term game um, the advantage is it's like having first dibs at a buffet you know all the odds are there um, before other tipsters experts and punters have had a go and uh, and you're going to have the best of them
So uh, swings and roundabouts, I think. Yep, great, thanks. I think from a football sense as well, it's just touching on something Miles said earlier. I'm sure there is some fixing in some, the Romanian second division or whatever, but it's just not worth worrying about, is it? I mean, I worked for a bookmaker for, yeah, as I said, nearly 10 years, and there was not one case of match fixing or race fixing that I came across. Yeah. Um, and considering a lot of our clientele, um, if, if it did occur, then you would have thought that I would have sort of found out. Um, mm. And yeah, it didn't, as I say, I think it's, I think sports you know, at the highest level, especially, is a lot straighter than people sometimes think. Yeah, yeah. I think quite a lot of the time people sort of use fixing as an excuse for losing that. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. That favourite didn't win, it must have been, uh, must have been dodgy. And, and uh, it happens a lot in racing as well, I think, that people talk with their pocket or react with their pocket. Yeah. Um, uh, a, a jockey's given the horse a terrible ride. Um, maybe it's a terrible jockey. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe he's just had a bad day. Yeah. That we all that we all have. Um, you know, we all make mistakes. And uh, um, I think that's actually quite a good point in terms of advice. Um, if you know, if you've backed a loser and, and it's the jockey's fault, you, you just try not to be so emotional about it. Mm. Um, you know, you, you've had a good bet. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, and if you keep having those bets, then you're going to be up overall. Whereas if you if you get emotional about it and try to chase it, or you know, not back in the next good bet that's ridden by that jockey, for example, um, you're going to you're going to get yourself into trouble there. I, I agree. And also, if you've got the mindset of a long term strategy and betting bank, whatever, if that's all in place, if you happen to be so unlucky and caught up in something, well, <coughs> just wipe your chin. Yep. move on yep. to the next race uh, there's always tomorrow and uh, you ought to be able to absorb any bad ride bad this, bad whatever I mean that variance says that things are going to happen that you don't expect anyway it's yes. just you know, it's just making sure that you, your, your margin is, is constant throughout the year Yes. we're going to take a short break from the podcast now as Adam wants to ask you a question far away Adam Cheers, Matt. I was just keen to know whether the listener is making one of five common football betting mistakes. They drive me mad. I've seen people make the same mistakes time and time again, and over time it's costing thousands of pounds. You may not be making all of these mistakes yourself, but I'm pretty certain you're making a couple of them. Claim a trial place on my new service, The Professional, and I'll send you a free copy of my report, Five Killer Mistakes That Lose You Money. Seriously, this could make and save you thousands over the years. Just click on the link in the podcast description and I'll make sure you get a copy of my report for free. Okay, we'll move on to the next question, which is from Richard, uh, who says, do any of you like spread betting? And if so, which market do you think is the easiest or best to make a profit on? Um, Adam, you'd be the obvious. Yeah, we, we love spread betting over here. Um, yeah, over the years, the spread's have been the most enjoyable and the most profitable for me, personally. Um, enjoyable in terms of the more right you are, the more you win. There's no limit to a lot of the spread markets. Um, so compared to fixed odds bets, um, you know, if your team's three nil up or three nil down, you kind of know your fate. Whereas on the spreads, um, you know, you're still on the edge of your seat, watching whatever happens um, is going to have an impact on how much you're winning or losing. Um, so it's enjoyable in that sense. In terms of being profitable, there's a few markets available on the football, and the usual ones being sort of total goals, corners, bookings, um, going sort of under or over on those. Um, they can be profitable. The one market I focus most on is the player performance market, which is essentially a prediction of the performance of an individual player in one match. Everything the player does 
in the match gets points uh, ranging from 25 points for scoring a goal to two points for completing a pass in the opposition's half and um, those numbers added up form the total and form the the, yeah, the total that he gets in that game and so yeah it's a case of looking at, at all of the players and the context of each game and seeing how we think the game is going to go and going um, buying or selling the player in question um, it's quite a specialist market which also works in our favour because it's kind of us versus them so you know they've got a, a trader or a team of traders um, pricing this market up in their room in Sporting Index Towers or Spreadex Towers, um, and then I've got my you know my room and doing my figures and, and analysis, and so you know there's, it's it's quite a liquid market, but it's one which is unstable and where the prices are often very wrong. Um, so it's one yeah we can take advantage of, and also obviously we can choose. We can pick and choose which players we go for, so we can, you know, have a week without having any bets. You know, we see the prices and we think they're about right, um, but there'll be, you know, one or two a week that that aren't right, and that's where we where we make hay. So yeah, good fun and profitable. Cool. I don't know if anyone else has dabbled in spreads at all. I have, and it's a very small part of my own personal portfolio. Uh, I did it with golf way back when, but uh, honestly. I'd much rather watch and see and follow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Right, so Peter is next up and he asks, I would like you to ask, does any of your panel rely upon time form ratings? And if so, do they show a profit? Um, as a resident racing tipsters, Miles or Mel, does one of you want to start? Shall I, uh, shall I take yes, this one first? Yes, you go first, Miles. I've looked at time form ratings... And I like the Timeform site. I think their comments on previous runs of individual horses is very useful, especially when you look through them as a block. You'll see a trend of form quite nicely. The danger with ratings, in my opinion, whether it's Timeform ratings, racing post ratings, or indeed um, the official rating that a horse is given by the handicapper, is that they are a figure that applies regardless of the conditions and therefore can be slightly misleading. So say you've got a horse rated 69, it's going to be rated 69 whether it's running two miles or five furlongs. It's going to be rated 69 if it's running on the heaviest of ground or the fastest of ground. Now its ideal conditions will be amongst that mix somewhere, uh, but not necessarily the race that day. So one of the challenges is to identify a horse's ideal conditions and see how close that is to the conditions of that of the race you're looking at. If they match, then there's a good chance that the horse will run um, to its maximum ability. If they if they don't, then obviously the performance level is likely to be to be lower. Ratings don't take that into consideration. They also don't take into consideration how lucky or unlucky a horse has been. Has it had a bad draw? Has it been hampered and hindered in the run? Has has it been given a bad ride? Um, or have the gaps opened up at the most opportune moment for it to come through, whereas three or four others have been travelling um, as well as that one but haven't had the gaps? In isolation, ratings can be misleading and there are no shortcuts. I would say use ratings, if you like, as a basis, but then watch replays, go through the form, read the comments, and see if everything ties together. 
but in isolation, ratings, I doubt, would be profitable. I agree with uh, most of that, I uh, think, Miles. <coughs> if I say, uh, hi, Peter, and thanks uh, for your question, and do I rely upon timeform ratings? Uh, the short answer is no. I don't use any kind of rating uh, whatsoever. Uh, you mentioned timeform ratings, but there's also a new kid on the block at the moment, which is sectional timing, and uh, that's getting more and more airing as the weeks uh, and months go on. Uh, and I would say with both timeform and sectional timing, both should be used in conjunction uh, with the form book. And uh, if I just go slightly off piste with the sectional timing. Personally, I'm absolutely amazed that there's not a dedicated website, sectionaltiming.com, sectionaltiming.co.uk, where a horse race punter can go straight to that website. He's got his form on, on one hand with Racing Post, but there's a dedicated website there for sectional timing. Is there nothing on sectional timing? Yes, there is. At the races, have a, a section for sectional timing, but you've got to go to at the races, find out which bit it is, and then whatever, whatever, you know, half an hour later, you've found the bit you want. But if you could just go to a dedicated website, put in the date, up come the meetings, put in the time uh, of the race at that meeting, well, there's all your sectional times. So there may be somebody listening to this who's... Uh, far more savvy than I am and maybe Miles and you guys as well and suddenly we'll have a, a dedicated website to uh, sectional time. It, it would be nice if that happened and, and at the races only only includes certain tracks. Indeed, um, yeah. There was a, a horse I was looking at that had its previous run in Germany over the summer and I was able to find footage of that on German TV and their coverage was so far beyond uh, the coverage we have. There, um, there was a map of the track in one corner with, the, with a little dot showing where the horses were so you could see that they were approaching the bend and then and how far they would, they would have to travel, So, um, which gives a bit of context as you're watching because you, you don't know whether you should be getting nervous often, you know, how far they got to go. Is this the final bend? Is this the final jump? They had the the numbers and the colours of the horses in order. So in a large field, you, you often have no idea. You know, if you've got half a dozen wearing blue and, uh, you know, a, a wide uh, angle covering 20, 25 runners. So that it was very, very clear. You could see if your one was moving up in the field or back. And also a list of sectional times. And this was done very neatly just in a corner um, of the screen and, uh, and uh, away from the action, so it was adding rather than hindering the viewing experience. It was great, and uh, um, that's the first and only German race I've, I've watched, and uh, I was just so impressed. It was, it was so much better. Well, do you think we're missing a trick? You know, you've got BHB, uh, there was the other group of people racing for change, trying to bring in new audiences to watch horse racing and get behind it. Uh, I could go on now, but I find some of the coverage we get, they're dumbing down horse racing, horse racing terminology 
to suit the masses. Uh, I mean, we don't dumb down NFL, we don't dumb down football, uh, but they are dumbing down uh, even into pricings, uh, you know, like 12s, 14, 16 to 1, instead of 100 to 6, 100 to 7, 100 to 8. All that's gone. Maybe sectional timing, like you're saying. You can watch a picture in the corner where my horse is. There's the times, that's what it's doing. Would that give the average viewer something more to get hold of? It would add to it, and it yeah. would certainly add to something from stats fans. Um, Indeed, yeah. For stats fans. I, I, I agree. I, th I think the ITV coverage is pretty good, although I've absolutely no idea why there's the need to include so many fashion elements. Oh, I <laughs> could not agree no, more. It, it doesn't happen agree. in other programmes. Yeah. If you're watching, I don't know, the Antiques Roadshow, halfway through, you don't get a cookery spot. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why uh, there's, there's this uh, uh, fascination with, uh, with fashion and racing. People that like it, great, but put it on a different programme. Put it on. Um, yes. Hand in glove, if I could say that, with Royal Ascot. <laughs> so, uh, <coughs> Maybe we can have it once a year, but no, I, I agree. I just feel sometimes the way that the programmes have gone to try to attract a different viewer, the viewers were always people steeped in horse racing. They're trying to sort of attract younger, sort of non-racing fans as well, don't they? Yeah, but they're taking out terminology. Yeah, and tradition. And, yeah. and tradition. Mm -hmm. and Which is part of the appeal, yeah. When I got into racing, it was all the things yeah. that every time I looked at something, my eyes were wide open. You thought, wow, I didn't know that happened. Wow, I didn't know that happened. And we're still in, thank goodness, furlongs. Yeah. Uh, wonderful. But will they start going to metres? Oh, please not. Okay. Um, right. Uh, Bessemer Reader Andrew is more interested in the bigger picture. And he's asked, uh, even when punters find a reliable tipster, why do so many fail to achieve long-term success? Um, who wants to go first on this? Well, who's this? Andrew. Hi, Andrew. I think uh, reliable tipster, uh, and all I would make is two brief comments. One, everybody has losing runs, even the best of tipsters. And I think everyone... Uh, around this <coughs> table would say we don't have two years the same uh, it can be one brilliant year one not so good year uh, but that's how it is that's the nature of the beast that uh, we work with and my other point would be uh, to Andrew is that most tipsters do not rely on their own abilities in picking winners for their own personal income and I would say, Andrew, you need to find a tipster who does, uh, and then you should uh, rely on that person and not the former, as mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think um, losing runs are obviously a big thing, and people sort of get scared and and uh, leave the service just before an upturn's due. Um, I know Gus, with your NFL service, start the season a bit wobbly. But I think people need to realise that at the start of any season, form can be a bit up and down. Yeah, and again, I've just got a few points here as well. Obviously, um, I know the question's long-term success, but just in terms of NFL and the service that, uh, that we've had, yeah, at the start of the season, it was tough. Obviously, teams were, uh, were getting to know their new rosters. Uh, there were some new quarterbacks in, new defensive lines. So, yeah, we, we struggled. But then the one thing that 
that I'm sure all, all the boys do, is they keep to the same strategy. That is how you will achieve long-term success. Don't change. Don't, once you're predicting winner after winner, keep going for more and more and more because then, then the percentages will come down. Keep what you're doing. Again, I'm sure for all of us, do the research, be patient, be selective, stick to what you know, keep using the stats, uh, and then long-term success will come. That's what I've done for the NFL. I, even though we started on a bit of a losing run, we kept to the same methodology. Uh, and again, the, the results are speaking for themselves now. Totally agree, yeah. Well, one point I would say as well is, um, I don't know when you guys put your tips up, but um, one sort of pointer to a successful, not, not, not you know, it's, you, you can bet, uh, you can win at SP, um, but I would say that if you're beating the price, that, that is a key factor. Like if, if, if the, the tips are consistently beating the price, if they're losing, it doesn't matter. They're, 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 you're going to win over time. <clears throat> If you're if you, if the if the horses or the or the football match or the NFL is going off a bigger price or the lines moving away from from what you've tipped, then I would suggest that um, you know you're you're not going to be as successful. That's yeah, a great that's, point. That's yeah. absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. spot yeah. on. I think it's a it's a good question about why um, many services that uh, seemingly start off well then fade or disappear. Maybe there are a few reasons that maybe they weren't that good in the first place. And I think one thing, if you're thinking of joining a service, even if it has been around for a few years, is to beware of a couple of massive winners that distort the overall figures. Mm. Uh, If you can take a couple out, uh, a couple of individual results out, and by doing so, the figures are far less attractive, then the foundations of those results are not quite so sturdy. I think a lot of um, members of services are a bit too short-termist and will run the first sign of a losing run. This increases the pressure on a tipster and, and I think a lot of services fold because they haven't got enough members and I, and I, I don't include Agora here and I, and I speak with ignorance of, of other companies but I wonder when services disappear if it's the tipster or the company that's pulled the plug due to not having enough members because the, the ups and downs of, of membership numbers correlates to, to, to winning and losing figures and I wonder if, if tipsters on the whole panic too much when something is going wrong you, know, you have to expect periods above and below the norm sometimes when you're having one of those droughts you're not necessarily doing anything wrong. You might be making some mistakes or doing things slightly differently, but on the whole, the, the reasoning could be holding up. But um, it's not the easiest game when, when, it's, when it's not flowing, but you have to persevere through those and, uh, and, and, and until the good times come again. I think there's uh, one other point that uh, I'd like to make. The Some services, they will advise their clients have three points on this, have five points on that. Well, this is a maximum one, have 10 points on that. And I think unless a service can show that it can make a profit at one point level stakes, all the three and the fives and the tens, that's just masquerading a poor service, in my opinion. And they're hoping to... To win one of the 10 points. To win one of the 10 points. Which is like, hey, look look what we want. 
Yeah, uh, I agree with that. And, and I, I really, and I will also say at this point, just it's just come into my head, and I had one come through uh, a week ago because I'm sure we will get bombarded with tipster services, and uh, the starting bank was 250 points, and you think, hang on, a good punter will have his uh, bankroll, £500 for example, totally free, that's his betting bank. And if his starting bank has got to be 250 points, he's betting with £2 units. Uh, you're not going to make a living out of using £2, £2 per point. It's not going to happen. I mean, even if you won a thousand points in the year, you've just made two grand. You're, you're not going to live off two grand. And good luck to people who can win £2,000, well done, and who bet in £2 points. That's great, good. But it has to be seen for what it is, whether you're a fun better or whether you're taking it to a different level. The, the other thing I'd be... be uh wary of as well is I know everyone's on social media these days like tipsters on Twitter trying to sort of promote their product and you see sometimes on Twitter like they they holler about their winners yes I mean as soon as you see something like that you know oh look at this winner oh, I mean alarm bells are ringing already of course yeah <laughs> do you know what I mean I've just had a 5 to 1 winner but I'm not yeah, going to tell you but I'm not going to tell you about all the losers I've had yeah. 13 losers to get there yeah. Uh, but it was a maximum bet, 10 points. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, um, sadly we do seem to be running out out of time for this episode now, uh, but before we go, I just want to end with an any other business section. Um, I believe you've all prepared something, hopefully. Um, be it a free anti-post tip or a snippet of advice or anything you want to get off your chest, so far away. Um, Gus, let's start with you. Sure. Well, obviously we are, we are in the middle of the um, NFL season, Talking of anti-post tips, uh, again, we're currently sat on a nice 12-1 to 1 LA Rams who are joint favourites for the, for the Super Bowl. Um, in terms of anything off my chest, like it, it's, it's a case of what I said before. In terms of following, following tipsters, um, even if you're looking to do something yourself, you have to be patient, you have to be selective, you have to do your research, look at the stats, take your time, and also don't be greedy. If you keep winning, don't be greedy, just stick to uh, your level level stake and your bankroll, and you'll enjoy it, and ultimately you you will make profit in the long run. Okay, Miles, I'm going to give a specific tip here, and uh, Sylvester D'Souza won the Jockey Championship for the third time this summer. Osim Murphy was second, and he's early twenties. His um, Reputation has grown year by year. He won the uh, Apprentice Championship in his first full season over here. And he is probably D'Souza's uh, likely rival next year. But he rides for Andrew, primarily for Andrew Balding. And Balding tends to start the season off very slowly. He doesn't normally, his runners don't normally hit their stride until June, July. So, with the Jockey Championship starting at the beginning of May next year, I'll be looking to back O.C. Murphy to win the Jockey Championship, but not until mm, very late May, early June, uh, by which time he'll probably be behind, but he will then come with a late battle. 
Nice. Okay. Matt? Uh, mine's more sort of uh, advice if you want to get to where you want to be in your, in your betting. A mantra that I picked up in the early 80s and I stole it from somebody in America was keep on keeping on and it lives with me right until Bob today. Dylan, is that Bob Dylan? Oh, yeah. There you go, I know I stole, I stole it off a good <laughs> one. Um, and I would say you need a portfolio uh, of approaches that can be one sport or it can be more sports. The mindset <coughs> is don't be distracted. If you believe in what you do, keep on doing it, keep on keeping on. You need your betting bank totally devoid from any other monies and money you can afford to lose. Keep your discipline. As Gus says as well, patience. If you can't see the bet, leave it. Do not bet for the sake of having a bet. Keep the patience and stay focused. My advice, is not one horse to back, but my advice to you in horse racing is this. Use the form book. All the answers are in there. Learn how to interpret form. Look for class. And my tip is, use current form to help you. Okay, Adam. Uh, yeah, I've just got a specific tip for you as well. Um, so I've been looking at the PFA awards um, a lot to look at this market, which is quite interesting. Hazard, Eden Hazard probably win the PFA Player of the Year. I was looking at the Young, person's, uh, young Player of the Year. Um, James Madison, just, we've talked about him before, haven't we? Um, 12 to 1, it's quite an interesting value bet, I think, um, for this. Um, he was superb last season for Norwich in the Championship, probably the Player of the Championship if you take away the teams that got promoted. Um, so I was interested to see who signed him in the summer. Uh, Leicester got there and he's carried on that form from last season into the Premier League this season um, I'd no doubt he would do um, he's been so influential for Leicester so far three goals um, most touches in the team um, the heartbeat of their attack um, really and um, more so he fits this market so well um, it's always worth looking at the history of awards if you're betting on any awards on the, in this case 12 out of 18 of um, the Young Player of the Year awards uh, in the last 18 years since the turn of the century have been English players which is quite a feat considering the lack of English players there are in the Premier League these days uh, the likes of Jermaine Genius, Scott Parker, James Milner, Ashley Young have all won this award and so Madison fits the bill in that regard he's, I mean he's potentially a better player than all of those I've just mentioned so if you're looking at the English angle he is you know a, a real contender Raheem Sterling is the only English player ahead of him in the market um, he's a favourite, possibly justifiably so, but the thing with Sterling is he's a good player in a team of a lot of good players, whereas Madison is a player is a good player in a team of not so good <coughs> players, so will stand out more, as those other players that I've mentioned did as well. They were good players in average teams. So, yeah, I, I think that's a value better 12 to 1. The one thing I would say about it, these voting markets is it's at the behest of voters and, you know, voters... Uh, Notoriously unreliable at the best of times. The last year's Player of the Year was won by Mo Salah when I think that Kevin De Bruyne was worthy of, of the award. Um, and yeah, it's not necessarily the best player that wins the award, it's, it's the most popular. So, um, you know, it, he possibly falls down in that regard, but in terms of quality and in terms of the profile, he fits this well. And I think at 12 to 1, 
little tip for you there. Yeah, great. Thanks very much. Well, thank you everyone for coming. Um, got smiles, Madeline Adam, and thank you very much for listening.